0: welcome to this latest edition of the baltic triangle podcast your monthly podcast looking
1: at the culture of business in liverpool with me Mick Ord, and me mark reeson so this episode has a distinctly musical theme mick met the boss of a unique international guitar company whose european headquarters are right here in liverpool
2: there's lots of musicians here, which is kind of perfect for us. So we're always, in, you know, there's, there's a connection between what we do of like creating the instruments and then the musicians that are playing them. And the same thing goes in, in Nashville and Chicago as well. We have, you know, it's a strong music community in each,
0: in each place. And Mark, you've been meeting Rory Taylor, the local music promoter and our man at District, the music venue at the heart of the Baltic Triangle, a man who's
3: passionate about the importance of
0: grassroots music in the city.
3: Grassroots music is the lifeblood of the industry. It is, you know, without it, we have nothing. There won't be a music industry without the grassroots bands, without the grassroots venues.
0: Well, music's in our lifeblood, isn't it? We love it. Everybody from Liverpool and beyond, of course, loves music. And it's great to devote a whole
1: podcast to it because we haven't done that before, have we? Do you know what, Mick? You can't go anywhere in the city without music playing somewhere in the street. Wherever you go, there's music and we've got a really rich musical heritage here
0: there are a few mentions of the Beatles today but we have moved on and I think that's what's exciting about the scene at the moment we have moved on and there's some real pockets of excellence you
1: can find aren't there we've got two very different stories as well haven't we
0: yeah that's right Mark so let's start off with Carl Cook who's the managing director of Eastwood Guitars UK their European operations are run from the Baltic Triangle here in Liverpool
2: It's developed quite organically over the past like 10 years. Um, So initially it was just outside Toronto, uh, a place called Georgetown, which is where the original Eastwood HQ was. And then I brought Liverpool online in 2010, around then, which was the first... Like you know, place. It was the second second location, really, designed to to cover Europe because there was already lots of guitars selling into Europe and being shipped from Canada at that point. So, we knew by just having guitars in Liverpool, we'd be able to ship into Europe and just deliver quicker to customers, and you know, and that would encourage people to buy just knowing that they could get like two day delivery or next day in in the UK. So Liverpool was the second place, um, and then we opened. Uh, a place in Chicago, uh, but it was about five years ago. So, basically, it just got to the point where shipping predominantly 70 percent of our sales were into the U.S. from Canada. In fact, from Canada, it was probably more like eighty percent going into the U.S. Um, every time they were crossing the border, there was a customs fee being paid. So we realized that the amount of guitars that were shipping in, just what we were paying in customs, gave us gave us the funds to open a dedicated facility in Chicago which is what we did um, and then that's allowed us to kind of grow that that side of it so yeah we had pretty much Toronto Chicago and Liverpool online and then about I mean know like two and a half years ago we, we opened a, a place in Nashville as well so we started a, another line of guitars called Revolta with a, a really good guitar luthier designer called Dennis Fano who was in Pennsylvania at the time Um, We partnered up with him on this new line of guitars and he wanted to move to Nashville so it just seemed a natural fit that we could do that help him do that make that move uh, and partner up with him so yeah we found ourselves in Liverpool, Chicago and Nashville now which is quite cool that
0: sounds sounds very cool doesn't it?
2: Yeah yeah. and Nashville I mean obviously there's the there's the uh, music connection between all three places especially Liverpool and Nashville but it's still thriving now very much so if you go to nashville there's like a massive music scene there and gibson are based there as well so all the gibson custom shop um so we've we've been in a position uh of the nashville facility has picked up quite a few like ex-gibson workers <clears throat> which has been interesting for us so you've got guys who, who have come over who've been working on you know eight to eight to ten thousand dollar guitars and upwards like custom one-offs coming and working for us and stuff and, you know, setting up our guitars in, in Nashville and stuff, which has been quite, quite cool to, to see that side of, a, of the business development. Um, but just a real, same with Liverpool, there's lots, there's lots of musicians here, which is kind of perfect for us. So we're always, in, you know, there's, there's a connection between what we do of like creating the instruments and then the musicians that are playing them. And the same thing goes in, in Nashville and Chicago as well. We have, you know, it's a strong music
0: community in each, in each place that we're located. So, how does it work then? You choose a design you want, maybe you work on it a bit, mm. and then you send the design to Korea, and then talk me through if I'm if I'm sitting in Chicago or maybe New York, and I want one of your guitars. Yeah, just talk me about the journey. Well, we've got two distinct avenues for it now. There's obviously there's the website side
2: of it. So if we if we do um, if it's a guitar model that we just decide that we're going to introduce without taking it through any um pre-order process from from customers it would just turn up in any one of our warehouses and if it doesn't matter where you are in the world you order it we just
0: ship it out from whichever warehouse is easiest for us to ship it to you from so you could ship from liverpool to america yeah even though you've got offices over there and, and facilities over there
2: yeah it's quite often it's based on on stock so like certain guitar like quite a funny ones obviously we're on a podcast so you can't see but the seafoam green guitar there, which is quite a kind of bright. Yeah. How would you describe that? Yeah.
0: Like a like, like a take-away, isn't
2: it yeah. Like a kind of bright bluey green. Like we know from from our sales history that that colour is a lot more popular in North America than it is in Europe. Probably just because it it speaks to speaks to their audience a bit more. It's more it's it's called surf green, so it was kind of more linked to like surf music. Uh, in the past and you know there's like fender guitars that you get in that color but primarily we sell for every one of those guitars that we would sell in europe we probably sell like eight or nine of them in in the us so we know that we might as well keep that stock in the in the, in the us and then likewise there will be more other models that will be more popular in europe than in uh, than in the us so just so you know if we have stock a customer in, you know, Detroit orders a, a particular guitar that's in Liverpool, uh, and not in Chicago and Nashville. We would just ship it to them and, and get it to them within,
0: you know, like two to three days usually. And in terms of some of the guitarists that people listening might know, yeah, who uses your guitars? Who who uses Eastwood guitars? Uh, that's always kind of catches me off guard that
2: question because there's been so many o- over the years and like people people who have being genuinely a fan of who've like bought guitars and stuff like the big one the big one for me and he's always just paid full price for them like all the through the internet is a guy called john fogerty from credence clearwater revival wow so like you know from from personally for me from when i was kind of 16 17 i was a massive fan of of john fogerty you know like green river bad moon rising all like suzy q all like the classic stuff that he did um, so yeah it's always, a, it's always a buzz when you kind of see that he's playing the guitars and stuff so he's one with um, guitars to flee from the Red Hot Chili Peppers recently he was kind of quite a good one and
0: what about the guy from the Bad Seeds you were telling me about him stuff. the other day I was fascinated by yeah. him be- because of the nature of the guitar that he has yeah so that's that's a story in itself that guy called Warren Ellis who works and works with
2: Nick Cave from Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds so he's been in um, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds for years and then he another band called with that he did with Nick Cave. It's actually based on a, a 50s, 60s Fender Mustang body shape um, but it's a four string so rather than it being like a traditional six string guitar it has um, four strings so it's tuned differently to a normal guitar. A normal guitar of I think, probably just that's your normal six six string guitar, uh, low to high. Whereas a tenor is so it's tuned it's four strings tuned in fifths. That means anything to anyone. So it's tuned like a violin, in essence, even though you wouldn't think it looking at looking at it. Um, and that's got Warren's signature at the top, hasn't it? Yeah, so it's Warren's signature. So this is called the Warren it's the Eastwood Warren Ellis tenor signature guitar yeah so it's really cool and what it's good for as well as we like we we sell quite a lot of them and um, it enables people who play cellos violins like more classical instruments to get like a guitar and be able to translate how they play on those instruments to to get an instrument that looks like a guitar it's bespoke so think, isn't it is yeah it? so i think it scratches a lot of um like traditional you know trad musicians classical musicians it, it allows them to feel like rock stars i think And that's like the big thing for <laughs> yeah, it yeah. that it does yeah so it's beautiful yeah yeah it's really cool and it's turned into like the ones that we're looking at here now it's turned into a whole line of guitars that we've done with warren now so warren does a lot of soundtrack work for movies and stuff as well um so things like this which is this is what's that's called the mando cello so this one has two strings, yeah, strings. for each. Yeah, so it's an eight-string instrument, but it's still four-string with doubled-up strings. Right, um, just allows you to get. I always think of it as being quite like 60s espionage movie sounds and stuff, so it does that kind of thing quite well. Um, you no, know, needs needs tuning. Um, so yeah, there's that, and then there's like the shorter body ones, which is called a Um Yeah, I've got like a whole. Host the thing. One of the one of the best ones that we did was a a, um, a a double neck one that was basically a Mando Stang and a Tenor in one guitar. That was quite interesting. It was like probably the strangest oh. instrument that we've made. So I so was I was that I, for Warren. Yeah. So that was um, I can't remember about the idea. So I tend to do like you know the development, the R and D on on new models. And in that case, it will like I did it with Warren. Um, quite often I'll do the R&D independently of, of artists and so, sometimes an artist will say oh yeah you know we just want a a particular type of guitar and then I'll just go away and, and come up with something and go back to him that way. But Warren was quite hands on on that one, he had a particular look that he wanted to it and stuff so we kind of worked together and he, he was in Paris so we'd get like prototypes sent over and I'd, I'd send one to him in Paris and then we'd sit on Skype and kind of just like back and forth like play it to each other and stuff and make notes and work out how we were going to change it and stuff and i think we met we, we did that as a limited run of i think we did like 30 of them in all in in the end and then it's that was that must have been about six or seven years ago and then we still get people constantly asking for and stuff so we, might, we might, might do a rerun we might do another little run of them at some point or do a variation of it um but yeah, it's funny that the can't... It's just, it's it's quite a good feeling knowing that the ones that we made are out in the world in like, you know, various places and stuff and people people are starting to know what they are.
0: Yeah. You're a big importer and exporter as a company, aren't you? You know, yeah, you've yeah. got Canada, USA, Korea, yeah. Indonesia coming up. Yeah, and we were in China as well, which we
2: stopped working in China okay. for kind of political reasons as well as um, probably standards of the guitar. But it's... don't know if it's interesting to people or not, but we got hit by um, a legislation called the CITES uh, legislation, which affected Rosewood on the guitars uh, that came into force about three or four years ago. And making guitars in the Far East just became a nightmare because you had to have specific um certification for rosewood at that point so the whole industry was just in a, in a race and a clamor to find an alternative to rosewood so we're using the main one that came about which is actually on that guitar there is a wood called Pauferro. ferro um, and it's been lifted now the restriction so everyone's just about to go back to rosewood uh, which is like this one um, but i think it's really damaged china and then it's funny you wouldn't really think it affects it and stuff but the situation with trump and the trade wars with with china is just he's basically priced the chinese guitar market out of um you know it's overpriced now for for going into the us particularly because there's like 25 percent levies being put on the cost of the guitars going in um, so it just means that everyone's just, you know, all the companies who would have traditionally been used in Chinese facilities have just had to, had to come out of them and find other places to go to. So. And what about Brexit, dare I ask? I mean, hopefully it's going to sort itself out for us being based, you know, as, as a Liverpool company, as a, as a UK company the idea of not having not having a a trade agreement in place from the off and you know the customs union thing that keeps keeps getting mentioned would just be a nightmare and the contingency plan for us if you know and and the effect of a no deal which seems less likely hopefully than, than it was than it was looking three four months ago um would definitely be that we would have to look to locate guitars and store guitars on the continent just because um, we would need them within the EU because the EU sales for our European side represents probably like fifty-five to sixty percent of what we do. Uh, the UK is probably only like ten to fifteen percent for for us for the for what's leaving Liverpool. So you've you've kind of just got to go where where your market is, which is unfortunate, but that's probably what we'd have to do um,
0: if if it's a no deal. Yeah, if it,
2: yeah, if or, you know, if, if it was a no deal, like again i always kind of liken it for people to um the situation that we have if we need to ship in and out of like norway or switzerland or countries that are in europe that aren't in the eu and there's just there's just another level of uh, paperwork admin cost that goes into it even down to you know we would use fedex as our couriers it's going to be like two days to france two days to germany spain italy all of a sudden you go to norway and it's three to five days and then it's it's probably at least three to four times the cost yeah. of sending the same guitar to you know next door to Sweden and um, it's like so much quicker so it's just obviously it's for Norwegians there's quite affluent anyways and that and I think they're quite used to paying for imports and stuff but I just couldn't imagine running a business where where you have that on a daily basis of you know having to charge people that kind of money to to ship guitars out it just we'd lose any competitive edge that we've
0: got at the moment so i mean people talk about canada plus and all that kind of thing and presumably well, you've got some experience well, like of importing between canada and america and...
2: totally that totally have yeah and that's what's kind of funny for me obviously personally hearing canada plus getting bandied about as as um, you know as an option for for a way forward we've have you know we've been there and moved out to canada to go like exactly the same scenario of like how canada is shipping into the us and the taxes that were levied at the border was the reason that we moved our warehouse originally from toronto into chicago to overcome that um so if people start saying well you know canada plus or you know all, all that 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 kind of set up doesn't really give me any confidence (laughs) because we've we've been in that situation before and had to leave it um and it's almost you know deep down hope it doesn't happen but that would be a similar scenario if if we were in that situation if we didn't have the customs union we weren't just free to ship in and out of 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 the eu countries um we'd probably have to make the same move again and set somewhere up I mean, I've already been over in, in Holland looking at like um, distribution centres and you know places to base guitars if, if needs be. Um, yeah.
0: Well, let's hope it doesn't yeah. come to that from a yeah. Liverpool point of view. I mean, looking yeah. ahead to the future in five years' time, where do you see Eastwood in terms of the European operations? I Suppose it depends on what happens in the next like twelve months.
2: Like really, realistically speaking, the good thing about the setup that we have in Liverpool is it's only Brexit only really affects um the logistical side of things so like the shipping of guitars in and out everything else that we do just in terms of you know the design aspect the marketing um everything else sales um that can still be done from here so you know obviously i'm from liverpool i want to see liverpool do well as a place and you know that's i want to keep people in work and keep doing what we're doing so hopefully i can keep i can keep that aspect of the business here and growing
1: Fascinating stuff again there, Mick. Um, And some really interesting things to consider for Eastwood Guitars when you think about the barriers that may be there after the customs regulations that go in. Could be tricky going forward.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think he says that. I mean, it's a truly... International company, though, because they make the guitars in Korea, as he said, they're moving into Indonesia, they ship from Liverpool, they also ship from um, Nashville and Chicago, so it really is truly international. So they're just hoping that there's not a no deal Brexit, that they come up with a deal and that things move swimmingly. Because we would not want to see an enterprise like that move to Holland or another European
1: country, it's a really, it's a real jewel in our crown, I reckon. And if we are going to play no pun intended, on a global stage. We need to have all of that lined up, ready to go, shipping from this port.
0: And we also need to have top music venues and you've met
3: Rory, haven't you? Rory Taylor um, from District.
1: I did. And it was a really, really fascinating chat.
3: Yes, so I'm Rory. I am venue manager at District. I'm also part of their team at Constellations. I'm also director of Positive Vibration, reggae festival, booking agency, a DJ. I'm a qualified lawyer. But I don't do that anymore and yeah i came to liverpool 16 17 years ago to study and i stayed here because i love the city
1: you're like me then you're uh, an adopted Liverpudlian. give me some idea of the kind of people that you've you've worked with over the years
3: well i've managed the scientist the dub pioneer i've worked with sister nancy my professor lee perry
1: how did it feel to see scratch perry in liverpool
3: well, I remember last year when we when we had Lee at Constellations for the festival, the band he was with Subatomic Sound System were playing and Lee was, you know, waiting to get on the stage, he was to be introduced and there were a few of us just backstage just looking at Lee and that's when I thought as if Lee Perry's about to play Constellations and then it made me think about the festival and some of the artists that we have, you know the big big artists and to have them play in these intimate venues is is pretty special. Talk to me about the music that you love. I was growing up listening to a lot of Nina Simone. I remember seeing Santana Abraxas album on, on vinyl, just being mesmerised by the artwork, and and then remember listening to people like Anita Baker. But I'm always listening to it in the car, you know. And it was, the, I, had a, I had a really good musical upbringing. You just want to listen to more and more and more, and and you know, ultimately, all modern music is connected. It's all linked, and that's my obsession is is, is linking music. But in terms of the music that I, I I'm kind of I promote at the moment or play when I DJ, so it's a lot of reggae, a lot of Latin boogaloo, a lot of Afrobeat.
1: I mean, I'm exactly the same. I had that in my life, like you did. For for me personally, I think that there used to be a lot of youth cultures in this country. I think what those youth cultures did was they they showcased different ways of, of people expressing who they were and what it was to be young in Britain at any given time.
3: I was talking with dad the other day about this, about, you just mentioned these kind of subcultures, these scenes, and, and my dad's not, you know, he's into new stuff. He's not like, oh, the old stuff was the best. He's completely, he's not like that at all. The opposite, in a way, he just said that things were new. They were new to us. You know, we were so lucky. Nothing's new now. There, there are there are derivatives. There are. It's not. I'm not I'm saying that in a negative way. You know, everything now is about standing on the shoulders of giants and and taking something and, and and rejigging it. But I still think music has the same impact.
1: This city has a really incredible musical heritage. Obviously, going back to the Beatles, predominantly. Why do you think it's important that we continue to be a city associated with music?
3: There's so many benefits to music. So to be a city associated with music, we have to be proud of that. A big problem with the Beatles is that they were so big, they were so dominant that anything that followed them was just in their shadow. But then you got scenes like the whole punk scene, and, which was, I guess was focused around like the likes of Eric's. And then a bit later on, you've got the whole dance culture and Cream being the big, big player in that. Shows that as a city, we're always evolving. We've got the oldest black community, definitely in the UK, the oldest Chinese community in Europe. We're one of the biggest Irish communities outside of Ireland. Music literally brings people together of of different cultures of different backgrounds
1: there is something special about liverpool there's something special about the people and, and that heritage that comes from that is something that i feel we've got to promote and protect yeah. i think it's really important that we have music venues opportunities for you to do your positive vibrations festival in the streets you know i think it's really important as a city that we do maintain our culture of music
3: liverpool is full full of the most amazing creative people, um, bands, events organizers, promoters. There probably aren't as many promoters as the one as, as you know ten years ago, but there are so many creative people, and there are some really cool music venues. So, the likes of you know, where our district, Kitchen Street, Brick Street, Constellations, you know, are just some. In, in the Baltic Triangle, but then you've got, you know, the Wind Factory, and Meraki, and North Shore Troubadour, um, and then in more in the kind of city center, you've got the likes of Phase One doing really good stuff, and Jacaranda, and Zanzibar. I mean, there's, there are quite a lot of great music venues or spaces that host music. Like the, the, the Scandinavian church isn't a music venue, but it hosts a lot of events, but like any city, these grassroots music venues are at risk. Venues are closing because people are moving to areas and moving next to bars and clubs and then start moaning that it's noisy. I think it's important as, as, as an area that we do have residents, but we can all work, play, live, laugh, dance, eat, drink together. But you know, don't put single glazed windows in a building next to a, a music venue, and then moan that it's noisy. The one that's being threatened at the moment is Kitchen Street. What I can say is that it's one of the most important music venues in the city. I mean, of the last ten years, because the team there are putting on shows and putting on music that no one else is doing. No one's risking it.
1: Yeah, I know. From my point of view, I've often seen the Sonic Youth posters up. These are these are big events, aren't they?
3: You know, here at District, that's kind of what we pride ourselves on as well. Is the whole is, is giving a space, a platform to to, to 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 communities to to music and art that other venues might just sort of turn away because you know not really suitable. We love, you know, we love the, the, the crazier the show, um, the more interesting the show, the better. You know? So you touched on there with Sonic Uther at Kitchen Street and the whole kind of LGBTQI plus movement is massive. And we host um, Beers for Queers and we host Eat Me and Preach. And we've got a lot of interest from outside of the city
1: And I love the idea of of living in a city that, that encourages, nurtures musical talent and then has venues that can showcase it. For me, it's fundamentally important if we are to keep that musical culture going in our city.
3: Grassroots music is the lifeblood of the industry. It is, you know, without it, we have nothing. There won't be a music industry without the grassroots bands, without the grassroots venues
1: sustainability of this area is 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 really important. The Baltic was an area of managed decline, wasn't it?
3: It was, you know, in a way left to ruin. But, but it was people like Jane Casey that saw something else, you know. So District, that was formerly the picket, has been here before the, the Baltic was a thing. Originally, it was the fact that it was kind of an old industrial area. There wasn't much here. You know, you got sort of carte blanche, really. You know, you can... You're free to do what you want within, you know, within reason. It's taken a few years and we're still, you know, we're still growing and developing, but we're now with quite a few venues here and the whole the whole layout of the area, it's really cool and it, it lends itself to um festivals, metropolitan festivals, where you're not having to, just, you know, walk through the city centre and walk from, you know, miles from one venue to the next.
1: Um and that's really important, though, isn't it? Because a lot of festivals nowadays are in a in a, an urban environment. They're in the middle of a field.
3: Yeah, I mean, for me personally, putting on positive vibration. I just I hate being in fields. You know, it's it's a it's a, it's a personal preference. But you get the character of venues. You know, when we do, when we do the festival, the, the, the venues are so important, and the area is so important because I program my bands, my artists, my activities based on. The venue, not just the capacity, the vibe of it, and we're very much a Baltic Triangle festival, and it's not easy. To, it's not as easy. It's not easy just to go. oh, well, just book all these bands and put them in a field. It's not, you know, like, and that's what kind of concerns me. The more that venues close, you know, you just sort of you, you're limited then, really.
1: So you're you, you're almost putting together a bespoke festival based on what's available to you.
3: Yeah, definitely. You're, you're tailoring it to the area. You know, it's such a cool industrial area you know and having something like with and have this industrial backdrop it's it's nice it's rustic it's real we've got Jamaica Street there's all these kind of things but you've got Sound City here now and Threshold Festival and Baltic Weekender Liverpool Disco Festival you know to name a few that are based in this area you know they all, they're all doing great things
1: the first sound city I attended I found myself in a in a really small room like an almost like a shed with with a band who I'd not heard of up to that point called Bang Bang Romeo and Bang Bang Romeo like you know the lead singer belted out a really brilliant tune called Johannesburg um, and now they play like sellout stadiums across the world you know and there's other bands that played there you know like bands like Queen Z. Uh, Baxter Drury you know so I've seen some incredible gigs and really small kind of sets so that for me that's why it's so important that we do maintain the opportunity to have gigs in these venues like the Baltic
3: yeah I mean I think I mean Liverpool's pretty resilient and when a venue closes another one will open you know and it, it shouldn't always be that way but that's it's 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 that's a that's a positive thing you know to get out of this. We'll always have incredible bands. We'll always have incredible artists. You know, as a city, we just it's just the way we are. Um, the likes of Liverpool Sound City are great for up and coming bands and artists because they're for the for the band themselves. They're they're on a, they're on the same stage as some of their potentially some of their musical heroes. Um, and what a festival like Sound City does, it gives these up-and-coming bands um, more exposure, you know, to a, a wider and more varied audience that might be coming to see the bigger names, but while we're here, we get it with Paz Vibe, you know, we've got big names, but then we'll have up-and-coming reggae bands. And, and a lot of the time, they're the ones that people are talking about after the festival. Like last year, a band called Resonators, and people are like I mean the amount of people that said oh they were amazing, and I think if I just put them on, on the you know in Liverpool just just them, I don't know how many people have come to it. In a way, you have to sort of put them on with a bigger attraction.
1: So, come and then give us some examples of what people can expect from the district uh, over New Year, Christmas, and into next year.
3: So, Christmas, the festive period is all about. Dance music, <laughs> you know, it's Liverpool. And um, next year's next year's really exciting. We're re- you know, we're, we're booking a lot of stuff in. We're booking stuff into like next November, December. Um, we've got a lot more reggae coming, which is always good. Uh, big Youth's coming back to Liverpool. Um, in terms of the LGBT events, Eat Me and Preach is as locked in for quite a lot. You know, they're doing loads of stuff next year. Um, Beers for Queers and moving to a Friday we've got brands from an organisation from outside of Liverpool coming in like XXL doing some stuff um hopefully the the boss sessions will continue because they're always it was it was mental but you know amazing um
1: so how can people keep up to date on what's happening with you at district
3: facebook's always the best um district liverpool we're on there all the events are on there it's a nice nice mix of stuff that's what we that's what we pride ourselves on we should be getting a bit more of the kind of indie vibe but mixing it up and you know, I don't know I might bring in a bit more of a, a Latin flavour I don't know I don't know if I'm willing to take that risk yet
1: Watch your space it sounds like Rory's uh, got lots of ideas in his head yeah. as always a pleasure to talk to you Rory and um, thank you so much for uh, giving me some time today and uh, any New Year's resolutions that people need to you know, bear in mind about yourself.
3: Just try and support grassroots music. It's it's really not expensive to go to. You could discover some incredible performers, and uh, it supports venues. It supports musicians. And you know, if if you're into music, there's nothing better than the live music experience. There's nothing better. You're helping to create jobs. You really are. These this is people's livelihoods, and without people coming. To venues, paying for a ticket, getting a drink or two, none of this would exist. So that's your New Year's resolution.
1: Always a pleasure. Happy New Year and all the very best.
3: Too. Cheers, mate.
0: So interesting stuff. What's, uh, what's your New Year's resolution in relation to music? Because we'll have to stick to this, you know, because he made a good point there, I thought.
1: Well, it's kind of connected to music. My resolution is to keep doing what I've always been doing, which is to be fired up and interested in all sorts of music and also to keep podcasting, Mick. That's my New Year's resolution. I think it'd be interesting to see, my kids don't go to watch live music
0: very, very rarely in the city. They go to see the big, the big stars like their kind of teenagers, early, early 20s. And it's great to appeal to uh, the emotions there and say you've got to support music venues. But they've got to put on what young people want,
1: haven't they? Yeah, that's true. I mean, obviously there's a discerning audience. People choose what they want to go and see. But I really do want to echo what Rory said uh, when I spoke to him. Get out there and do support your local venues. It makes a massive difference. And we can't lose that grassroots side of what we do here in Liverpool.
0: Absolutely. He, he's also involved with Positive Vibrations Festival, isn't he? The reggae festival that's uh, on once a year.
1: Yeah, there's some fantastic eyes coming in from, from that side of it all. Uh, very exciting. Almost out of time here, but uh, we want to do a uh, few shout-outs to some people that have supported us behind the scenes. Uh, quick shout-out to Russ and Elliot here at the Baltic, yep. and obviously also to Rich Bennett, who, without whose support and excellent production values uh, the podcast wouldn't be what it is so he's the third angle in our triangle or something like that Mick
0: he certainly is and if anyone's got any ideas for people that we should interview then do get in touch the best email is probably info at
1: baltictrianglepodcast.com that's it so don't forget to like and subscribe as ever give us a rating always helps and just a thank you from me and Mick to all of you for joining us and listening to our stories from Liverpool And hopefully you'll be able to hear from us again in 2020.